Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Thursday, April 14th, 2022. Joining me for today's podcast is tech journalism's dynamic trio, uh, Stuart Walpin, who describes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications. Rob Peguero, who writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter, PC Mag, and USA Today. And the, um, the, the <laughs> I can't come up with a great adjective for you, John. John Quayne, who writes for New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide. I'll come up with a better adjective next week. Uh, gentlemen, good afternoon. How is your week going so far? Good, 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 good. Good. Warriors and free. So yeah. Rob is not calling in from a hazmat um, location. <laughs> Corner of my in-laws' house. Which could yeah. be a hazmat location, uh, depending <laughs> on how you, how, how you feel about your in-laws. But, um, hey, just a few comments. Baseball season's off to a uh, start. Stuart, let me punt that over to you. Any thoughts on – oh, well, very quickly, what do you think about the, um, the, the first controversy of the season with bringing uh, – uh, Keisha out of uh, the uh, perfect game situation. Uh, well, I, I, I wasn't surprised given the uh, the fact that they had such a short spring training, his uh, the fact that he'd been injured over the last few years and all of these. But, of course, on the other hand, there have been, what, only less than 30 perfect games in history. Colfax has got one, and I think the only Dodger to have one. And, you know, I, he willingly – came out of the game because he was concerned for his long-term health. I was sorry to see that happen. I would have liked to have seen him at least try to get it, but I understand why they kept him uh, for seven innings. You could keep him for the eighth. You have to keep him in for the ninth, and now you're looking at 120 pitches. Yeah. I mean, that would never have happened 30 years ago, though. Short no, no. I think Kovac threw 130-something to pitch his perfect game against the Cubs. So. So, Rob, if that's you, I think you might want to put yourself on mute. Um, it sounds like there's some rain in the background. There's Rob. yes, there's rain. <laughs> it is. It's raining in Sonoma County. There's not a whole lot I can do about that. Well, I'll call the weatherman in. in, in the, <laughs> I mean, a friend of mine works for NOAA, but he only does congressional liaison. He doesn't actually control the weather. Oh, that's you're you're, you're very very humorous on a on a Thursday. <laughs> On a Thursday here, let us tee up the next uh, the first topic here that we've got here, and that is, if I can find the button over here, here we go. This is going to be a fun one to discuss. Uh, I call it the two sides of Elon Musk. Um, I think Rob, you had some different language that I kind of toned down to describe <laughs> his yin yang, but uh, you know he made he's made a lot of news over the last uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know he bought a. Um, you know, 9.2% 9 share in the company. Then he discovered that, guess what? You know, if you, if, you, if you sit on the board, you have fiduciary duties that can't let you assail the company because you have to uh, operate in, in the best interest of the company. And now uh, so he kind of backed off that. And uh, now he's talking about buying Twitter outright. So uh, let me see that with you, Rob. What are your thoughts on the two sides of Elon Musk? So yeah, this is this is literally the the duality of Elon Musk. Uh, on in my take on this, 
is he already has two full-time jobs, running Tesla and running SpaceX, both of which are enormously consequential companies, especially SpaceX, which I just wrote about for Fast Company. It was really fun to dig up some of the things people in the Washington establishment said about SpaceX 12 years ago, things that have aged like fine milk. Uh, So someone needs to talk to Elon and say, do your existing job. He is actually good at running a space launch company. He's good at running an electric car company, although I will say SpaceX is a better run company than Tesla because SpaceX has a really effective chief operations officer in the form of Gwynne Shotwell. Uh, Elon needs to clone her and put somebody like her in charge of running Tesla day to day. And I think you'd have a uh, less chaotic car company. Uh, he, he has no special insight about social media. Uh, as somebody with millions of followers and who has people hanging on his every word, he, he is probably the, one of the worst possible people to try to make change at, tes- at Tesla, at Twitter, because he has no idea what it is like for so many others. And while he, he has a lot of good character traits, I don't think empathy is really high on the list. So, <laughs> no. I'm ho- I hope he's having fun. I hope the Twitter board says, no, thanks, go away. And he Musk lives up to his pledge that this is a one and done final and best offer and then goes back to building electric cars and spaceships and rockets. <laughs> well, I, I think that's the lesson. When you have a lot of money, Rob, you do people do strange things. If I gave you... 20 or $30 billion. I'd like to, I know what you would do. The first thing, Rob, you would do is you'd go out and buy the NASA. Right, right, to the International <laughs> Space Station on SpaceX, obviously. No, no, you'd buy the Nationals. <laughs> I know that you would. I don't know how much uh, the Nationals are valued at, but you could probably get them for a deal, you know. <laughs> that too. That'd be my second purchase. <laughs> but, but Stuart, and this is, this is for you. I know this may be a stretch to some people, but, you know, there are, is a significant group of people who believe that Elon Musk um, c- can save Twitter from itself. You know, they, they, they're good, better, different. I know you're right, John. We'll get to you in a second. But Stuart, <laughs> isn't there a flip side to this in that, you know, that, hey, you know, that Twitter has made some mistakes. You know, I, I've said that repeatedly on, on, on several podcasts we've done. They, pre- you know, they, it is very much, you know, they can do whatever they want to do. They're a private company. They can, you know, pick off on the platform whoever they want to. But they've gotten a black eye with a significant part of the population in terms of this perception that sometimes they do, they have uh, wrongly suppressed certain types of information which was thought to be um, not true and then turned out to be true. So, Stuart, give me your perspective on that as it applies to the uh, one of the uh, dimensions of Elon Musk. Well, I have two thoughts. The first is that there's a great column today in the New York Times by Shira Ovai that essentially compares Elon Musk to Citizen Kane, which I think is a wonderful analogy. And it ends with talking about that, you know, you may get everything you want as 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 um, as Charles Foster Kane got, but he was miserable after he got it. So be careful, you know, it's a be careful what you wish for situation. But I don't think, first of all, Twitter is a public company. It is not a private company. He wants to take it private, which is going to be worse. And I think one of the strangest things that I read was that the the response from the Twitter shareholders is that they'll do best for what is best for Twitter and what is best for its stockholders. And nowhere in that equation is what is best for Twitter users or the public at large, which 
is not a surprising omission, but still a rather disturbing one that, again, from a pure capitalistic point of view, and Elon Musk, as I mentioned last week, is a capitalist, is still a disturbing thing. Um, and I think anytime you have one individual owning that much power, and people are going to say, oh, it's like Jeff Bezos buying the Washington Post. I'm sorry. With all due respect to Rob, the Washington Post is a is a popcorn stand next to Twitter's influence in the world. Um, and leaving that in the hands of one individual with the, the duality, shall we say, of Elon Musk, I, I'm a little afraid of that. But on the plus side, the board is going to be very, very wary of selling out to him, I think. Um, I, 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 I just can't see it the board doing this and wielding their own control or power. No, no, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And there's always, if you, I'm sure you've seen the news this morning. It's always talk, already talking about a poison pill that will make it financially very painful, which happens all the time. I mean, we, either way this goes, Twitter stock is going to tank. Yeah, but, but, but Stuart, but, let me be very clear. And then I want to bring John into this, uh, into this conversation. While it is a public corporation from a funding standpoint, what I meant by private, I meant that the private. fact that they can do whatever they want to from a, oh, from a rule. Well, that's, that's, yeah. that's true of any media company, though, yeah. public or private. That's true. Of what what what, Actually, what going private no. means would, re, re, would remove all the shackles from it. John? Well, it doesn't remember. It's not a media company, so it's not yeah. subject to the rules like the New York Times is or Project radio right. stations or TVs. It's, it's a free-for-all. Remember, mm -hmm. also, this is like putting the fox in charge of the hen house. I mean, this is the bad actor on Twitter. So this guy is the bad actor on Twitter. And just a few minutes ago, he's he's in Vancouver on on a on a TED talk, you know, like everybody else is on a TED talk. Elon's on a TED talk, too. So his and he just finished saying, oh, I think this banning people is bad. Maybe it's more like a timeout, like. A timeout? What kind of parent is this guy, right? This is ridiculous. You know, people, this is also the COVID denier guy. Remember, he's the COVID denier guy. People forget all this stuff about Elon. So this is exactly the wrong person to have in charge of this. I mean, he has no conception at all about what he's doing. And, right. you know, I'll love SpaceX, but that's all, all orbital sciences guys, you know? Uh, Tesla has done very, very well with the cars, but I don't see my roof tiles on my solar panel roof tiles. So, you know, this is, this is, geez, this is the wrong person to have in parts of it. But, um, but, you know, I don't think it's a real thing either. I mean, he said, he just said a few minutes ago, I'm sort of dating us now, but he just said a few minutes ago that he was really serious about it, but he said stuff like that before. Um, well, he, he's he's an interesting dude, as they say. You know, um, I think you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, the most polite thing I could say. Um, I, I think you know, and you know, again, listen. The three of you have have interacted with very senior people, CEOs, and there is something a character trait about some CEOs, not all CEOs, but some CEOs that they have to be in the public vernacular. They have to be out there. They have to insert themselves. And like I was kind of mentioning to rob uh, earlier when you have that much money i think it does something to the brain <laughs> you feel like hey i can say what and do whatever i want to you know there's a different set of rules for me well um, it's playing but, out know, like an extended episode of billions <laughs> <laughs> so who, who is the paul giamatti character <laughs> 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 yeah. 
the only thing I'll, I'll, end, I'll end on this is that um, this is not going away. I mean, this is going to go on for quite some time. I mean, he, he is, he perceives Elon Musk perceives Twitter as a threat to American democracy. He really does. And, and I, and believe it or not, I, I'm probably one of those people who believe that he probably has a little bit of a, a good argument with that. Maybe not, you know, but to, to uh, John, your point and to, well, I, I guess the three of you, I, he really is not prepared, I think, to take on, become, to take over yet another company. I think that, I think the shareholders probably would be very hurt, would be very much hurt in that. Although, you know what happens with these type of deals when a stock gets to a certain price, regardless of what the, the, the motives are, you know, a shareholder may, may look at that very favorably saying, Hey, I'll take that type of premium. But know? also it's, it's kind of a joke too, because look, if you wanted to fix something, go buy Facebook or whatever the <laughs> Mark is calling his company now, you know, that, that would be meta, the thing to do. meta, 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 meta. Right, but, you know, Twitter is like, what? What was Twitter doing to you? <laughs> well, let, let's let's go to our next topic here, uh, John. Yes, I want to get your thoughts on it because you were you were there at least during the media day portion, yeah. and um, you know, the New York Auto Show. I haven't been to the, to the New York show in probably six or seven years. I have been to the San Francisco Auto Show. I, I went there to the, the show right before the uh, pandemic started, and I love car shows. You know, I mean, I, I think it's a great event to go to you get a chance to see cars that you'll never be able to buy but even actually you know believe it or not i've gone to the auto show when i'm about to buy a car because you know generally the product um, the subject matter experts are there depending on what brand of car you want to buy and you can sometimes get questions answered that the local dealer can't answer but anyway give us your take and uh, some of your concerns that you were kind of raising that, uh, you know, the attendance wasn't great. Apparently. Right. Well, you know, it hasn't quite opened to the public yet. It'll open later to the public, but um, it was the displays, you know, there are definitely, there are fewer uh, car companies there that that's certain. And they also, a colleague of mine during the press day was yesterday. So we go from booth to booth to booth and company to company to company to see their reveals and the new cars and, and all of that, and to talk to the engineers, as you point out, who they fly in for the day, um, and then they fly out. Usually, they're all gone by now, today. Um, although I did go to a BMW event that I can't even talk about because they took our cell phones away so that we couldn't even take a picture of the new vehicle. Uh, so you'll have to wait till the 20th. But anyway, uh, the, he, one colleague said, look at the aisles. And they were like, triple the size of the normal space between displays and mm. i was realized wow there's a lot fewer car companies here subaru had this giant thing with pets and they had uh, they warned people about allergies because they sprayed natural things on the, on their displays uh but the big the big news aside from you know it's shrunken down and but at least it's in person and there were people there um was that the EVs have taken over, you know, the electric vehicles have really taken over these uh, events now and very quickly. I mean, we're talking within a couple of years, they've just kind of subsumed it. They're still on the ground floor, the basement floor, but it's now full of electric vehicles. And then every major manufacturer on the main floor has at least one new electric vehicle that they are introducing, at least one and promising, you know, 10, 20, 30, whatever, uh, Honda said 30 vehicles coming out soon. And because they're all electric, they realized I can drive the car around inside. So Ford has the Mach-E on its main floor going, 
you hear this squealing and you think, what is going on? Right. And they're driving it inside the showroom floor. So uh, definitely different. Um, it's, you know, but I, it's a lot of manufacturers are not there. It's very expensive, like consumer electronics shows, CES, you know, some of the same complaints. Gee, it's so expensive to be at the show. So we'll see. But um, it's the world of electrics. Definitely. John, what, did you see any any activity around um, uh, Apple Car? You know, anything? Of course, Apple wasn't at the show. I'm sure, but uh, at the event, because they, they never would be. <laughs> they'll they'll announce it themselves when they're ready to pull the trigger. But anything Apple related in terms of their vaunted, you know, much rumored. No, uh, but you know, and the the rumors, you know, go back and forth, like because they hire and fire people, and every time they hire and fire people at Apple that are related to the automotive side. Uh, people go, oh, it's over. Or no, no, they're really still serious. And, the, you know, the latest rumors were, no, no, they're still serious. They're still planning to do something. Um, I mean, the most, uh, how should I put it, the most uh, faithful rumors are reliable, if they're reliable at all, is that they've been working with Hyundai. Now, Hyundai um, is actually just earlier this year, uh, myself and other journalists test drove we, for a few days the Ionic 5, this yes. car. And it is fantastic it made a big splash because it's a reasonably placed vehicle with all the latest technology we all loved it um mm -hmm. and it's the first vehicle like that i can say we all love so if they pair up with something like that it would be interesting but um i mean i think people picture sleeper with the bubble car and i have my <laughs> apple car <laughs> i think that's what they picture but uh and that's not gonna happen but you know it'll be interesting to see if they ever do uh pair up with a, an automaker that's i think well, that's what we're looking at well let, let me pull uh, rob uh woody allen into this uh, <laughs> that was a funny movie by the way i must say that was a very funny that was when woody allen was so irreverent funny. and yeah, yeah. yeah you know, Bananas, that was another great movie. But go ahead, go ahead, Rob. Is to Apple's core mission as Elon Musk buying Twitter is <laughs> why? What's the point? What special competency do they bring? And at this point, Apple is taking so long. You know, there are plenty of other very smart people in the automotive industry who are working on this who actually have a background and an experience. So and it, it's getting to be embarrassing for Apple when they just go on and on. And this is the company founded by the guy who said real artists ship. And that's one thing Apple's not doing here. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to Rob's point, they now, all the vehicles, even the inexpensive ones coming out, have big, wide LCD displays or, yeah. or OLED displays. Um, and they all are using their own, many of them are using their own operating system. And to be honest, they work really well. You know, there was a time when we thought, oh, these cars companies can't do this, but they actually work very well, or they've already gone with Android, which is really actually, a satisfactory experience. Digital chassis that they showed off in December and talked up again at CES and MWC. They just announced today a big deal with Stellantis. The company that owns the the remaining bits of Chrysler and Dodge and Jeep, as well as uh, Fiat and Maserati and Peugeot and this grab bag of cats and dog brands. Uh, so, you know, there already is a tech company working to build a stack for connected cars and it's not Apple. And they Qualcomm seems to be making decent headway with yes. that. Yeah, no, they are. They are. Yeah. And before we get Stuart to, to close this, this topic out, you know, I'd also make the observation that Apple you know, just going back to them for a second, 
they understand that they really, even if they decide not to partner with a, a Hyundai, which I think that's probably a fairly reliable rumor, that, you know, for them to really control an electric, uh, an electric car, not just provide music capability or map capability and some of the things they do with the current version of, of Apple CarPlay, you know, the car manufacturers are very wary about them getting into the, into the dashboard. I mean, generally speaking, they saw what happened with with music and iPods and how Apple kind of, you know, kind of saw that market up. And there's a suspicion that if Apple, you know, let you know lets the car manufacturer too deep into their entertainment system and through all the other stuff they generate revenue from now, you know, their services and other things they do. So I, I think that you'll probably see Apple you know, to to really control the car because Apple CarPlay really doesn't control the car that you know it doesn't control air conditioning it doesn't control you know certain safety features it's, it's, a, it's a layer that sits on top of the other functionality of the um car but Stuart, just give us your closing thoughts on on the whole you know uh auto shell electric uh, apple topic well well my affinity for cars matches john's affinity for baseball <laughs> um, so my my comment is more on a broader scale on the state of of, of technology industry conferences going forward, um, which I think it's not only the auto show, I think all of these big conferences in the age of Zoom and the impact of COVID, it mirrors sort of what's going on in the workplace that people have suddenly realized they don't have to go. Um, and which means that manufacturers don't have to attend. Um, so I think a lot of these big conferences, whether it's the auto show or CES or IFA in Berlin, which they're starting up again after a lot of fits and starts over the last couple of years, how that's going to be, who's, who's going to be there in terms of both attendees as well as um, exhibitors. I think that we're entering an age where perhaps people are going to find replacements for these big conferences. And that is not my own personal viewpoint. I love going to these things just to press the flesh, to meet people, to make contacts. But I think a great number of people, now that you can attend these conferences virtually, um, may signal that there needs to be some sort of shift in the way they're being handled. I don't know how NAB went this year or if it happened yet, but I, I think that we're we're going to see a shift on how both the organizers of these conference handle things as well as the attendees and the exhibitors. Well, all I can say is as we flip to the next topic here, I think we're all in favor of getting to, you know, Pechos back in the gear because there's so much more information. We all know this, that I'm not sure Apple could really keep a um, could keep the lid on other plans if a lot of these events were in person. There's so many people that they're probably working with. If the Apple's events, there'd be a few drinks, and all of a sudden, you know, the rumor mill would really be on fire. But any event, um, let's get to our next topic, and that is um, foldable phone. Uh, Stuart, we were talking, uh, exchanging emails about this, is that um, there's some research data that, that's coming out that's being very bullish on foldable smartphones. Um, I personally think that, you know, that that is, uh, you know, from my analyst perspective, I think that is going to be the next big category. Now, there have been, uh, there are foldable smartphones out there. Samsung's been in the, in the market for the last couple of years. There's a couple of other vendors that have had um, solutions. They're still very tiny in volume. My perspective is when Apple does it and they kind of, you know, you know, sanctify the category, it'll probably take off. But there, there could be a lot of uh, great innovation comes out of that. And by the way, engineering challenges of, of a foldable phone, even beyond this display, 
because all of a sudden now you may have thermal issues that become much more tougher because now you've got two smaller chambers housing uh, the electronics and the phone. I don't want to get into a deep dive on that, but that can present some challenges along those lines. But uh, those numbers, Stuart, that we were you were flashing around this morning, uh, they look pretty sizable. I mean, do you believe in those numbers? you think those are real? Um, I don't care. And I'll tell you why. Um, this is following the, the the smartphone industry is sort of following almost every other tech industry since time in memoriam. In is that much that when a product becomes a commodity, which is what John pointed out last week, that the it behooves the the industry to do something to shake it up, return profit margins, and re, and insert some degree of excitement in. So whether or not consumers are buying them or not, I think is a secondary issue. I think for the manufacturers, they all want to do this because they will add in back profit margin. They will give consumers a reason to buy something, whether or not they actually need it or not. And I think you're right on the Apple point, because where Apple goes, the industry follows, even if Apple is following the industry to begin with, which is often the case these days. But I, in, since time immemorial, this is, I mean, look back at the transition to HDTV. Nobody was clamoring for HDTV except the industry. Nobody was clamoring for 4K except the industry. But the industry, the television industry had the worst profit margins ever, and they needed to boost their, their numbers. So they came out with new technology. Now, that's a totally cynically way of looking at the industry. I totally cop to that. But it happens over and over and over again in the tech space where a commodity where a product becomes a commodity and the industry decides they have to do something better that's what gave us for instance um um sacd and uh and uh, the high def uh, vhs um i mean this happens in almost every product that comes out that a, come becomes a commodity the manufacturer side they have to do something more to boost their profit margin so they come out with something new whether consumers are asking for it or not sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and i think the technology for foldable phones these are technology problems that they'll solve and at some point there'll be a killer app or the the operating system people will do something that will make it more desirable and more, with more volume prices come down and it's the same train that keeps right. running back and forth in our industry right and i, I think your point Stuart, and i want to get Rob's perspective there, there, there will be I don't know whether it'll be a killer app. Well, it might be a killer usage model that says, hey, I can only do this if I have a foldable uh, form factor. And that might be driven, of course, by an app. But Rob, are you a believer uh, in the uh, foldable? I remain unsold. I mean, show me the $500 foldable phone. Um, show me the $500 foldable phone that does not break in six months. And I think the comparison breaks down a little bit when you look at things like from analog TV to digital TV to HGTV, none of those required a whole separate extra step to use the device to fold it open. You just you were still just turning on a TV. Right. So I'm not sure that foldable phones necessarily solve a problem that a lot of people have day by day, uh, and I'm not sure how many people are willing are going to be willing to spend $1,200 and up if that's going to remain the entry level price for these things. And remember, we know how to make screens cheaper even at higher resolutions. But when you have very complicated mechanical components that have to function reliably thousands of times over the life of the device, I don't know if you can cost engineer that down to $500 effectively. 
Well, that's that's a price point. And, and but Rob, I'm very surprised at that, that your comments because, I you know iPhone 13 Pro Max, the biggie. You know, I love the phone, except I really can't put this in my front pocket. You know, if I could fold this in half, you know, candy bar style, you know, then all of a sudden it become and they probably have to the, fit out the Z height uh, of the phone. But I, to me, that's a usage model. I have, I can have a bigger phone when I need it, and I can have a smaller phone. And by the way, if you, if you see some of the existing foldable phones, they have screens on both sides. You know, so even when the phone is folded, you can still see messages and right. things like that. But John, what are you? What is your take? Are you a foldable phone? I want, I want my StarTac back is what I want. <laughs> uh, um, you know, uh, the, um, <laughs> you know, that was kind of like the last foldable phone that I liked. I, I don't, I, 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 with Rob on this, you know, it slows you down in sort of the, the rapidity with which you can pick up a phone and like the whole idea of your thumbprint and opening it up is to make it quicker and quicker and quicker. And this is slower and slower and slower. Even with that screen on the outside, it's just like, the crawl of you've got messages and then you need to open the, you know, I don't want to go that extra step. So right. um, I'm not finding it very attractive. Whereas I did like the large screens when they, the, the phablet size that people made fun of and that yes. iCarly show a TV shows, kids TV shows made fun of that phone. Um, but I liked it because you could look at a map and there were reasons why you would use it and walking around today after uh press event there are lots of tourists now in new york city it's a sunny day and they're all out with their phones and using the maps on their phones but the foldable thing doesn't give you very much and now it becomes an awkward thing to hold so now right. i can't really hold it in one hand and tell my family where we're supposed to find that restaurant so yeah i, I don't think it's a real thing but i didn't see the numbers so maybe the numbers are real i don't know yeah, I mean the numbers were in the tens of millions. I mean it's 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 not a trivial uh, number. I mean it's not. I don't. They weren't forecasting eighty percent. Well, the, the, the other market. point, the other point here is that every phone maker has either announced a phone or announced that they're coming out with a phone. So it's not a matter of whether or not you're going to be able to get them. You are going with to be the able with the exception of Apple. With the no, they have, they have, they have, uh, they haven't announced "quote unquote" anything, but there have been plans galore that had been released that show that they are deep in the development of it and could come as early as next year. So, yeah, no, they, and they file patents around it. Yo, sure, no, I, that is correct. So, so they're coming. It's only a question of whether or not the volumes will make them cheaper coming up and whether the technology problems can be overwhelmed remember john and 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 the whole the whole usage app, we started out with flip phones so this right. is something that people are used to they're right. used to that star trek flipping over the phone i don't see that as the a communicator the communicator yes. that's a like star trek yes. we're all used to the culturally indoctrinated to no, flip and, and, and like, again you know like i said before Hey, the one usage model I can fold it in half and put it in my pocket. You know, that's, a, right. that's so a, I, they're they're coming. It's only a matter of whether or not the imagination of the designers are going to be there to solve whatever roadblocks that both John and Rob point out. Right. Let us get to our last topic, um, Stuart. That I want you to opine about in a second. You know, you pointed out John Oliver, um, famed comedian on HBO, that a lot of people go to for their news, which kind of scares me a little bit. But that's a that's a different topic. I, you know, that was a very long segment, uh, Stuart, that you forwarded on. It was a 25-minute segment. And he did this really, really, I thought, a compelling take on the 
the danger of data brokers and not too many people know what data brokers are, uh, but they, I, I encourage people. I really, I really should have included the link to the, uh, to the, to the YouTube video, but uh, let's talk to Stuart about that a little bit. And some of the things that jumped out at you, because uh, you know, you've got, I'm sure you've got some very strong opinions on this. Well, <laughs> I think those of us in the industry were at least vaguely aware that this was going on. I don't think that oh. is, to a certain extent, all of us on this on this show um, at least have a vague understanding. The the number of people involved, the individual companies, I wasn't as well aware of. Um, what the, the the thing that I'm hoping is that legislatures see this yes. because the fact that this industry has been unregulated for as long as it is, and there have been a lot of advocates saying that we we consumers should be paid every time somebody uses a piece of our data. And I think that's the one takeaway that John Oliver didn't make, that one of the solutions regulatory-wise is that every time a company takes a piece of our data, we get paid for it because that's our information that they're selling. And I think that is the one takeaway I would have liked Mr. Oliver to have pursued. And I think the one course that legislatures can take, because the surest way of keeping these people from doing this is making them, uh, forcing them to pay us before they do it. Right. And, but he did make a very, very good point. Some of the, the, the biggest um, consumers of, of data in, in a social media context and in an advertising context is politicians, the ones who make the laws. So there's yep. probably a bit of reluctance for them to pass laws about it because they love having this data for, you know, well, well, you saw the, you saw the end of the episode where he yes. collected a lot of stuff. I'm hoping he releases some of that because that might light a fire under them. I, I thought that was at first a joke. It was like, oh, we, we didn't do this. He does that all the time. He does that all the time. John, what's your, what's your take on the topic? You know, it's funny. I didn't see the segment, but I use these people for stories all the time, right? The, what you're calling data brokers. Um, and I, I don't think people really, so I'll use them because they aggregate data, uh, you know, from various sources just to let people know what they do. And um, can put together very individual profiles of people. Um, they're the quants that got Obama elected. You know, that, yes. those are those kids, right? Yep. Um, and that's what they did. They they sort of micro-demographic, if you want, um, to, another way to think of it. But you can get very specific down to an individual at, at the New York Times. Yes. We did a couple of stories a while ago where we basically took, mashed different data that was publicly available. We didn't steal or buy any data mashed it together and said, hey, look, Fred Smith is having from such and such a place in Connecticut is having lunch in Bryant Park. And he works at blah, blah, blah building. We were got to that kind of detail and saw the video. Right. So it, it's it's that sort of thing that's going on that gives they're selling data about people that those individuals don't even know about, like. Stuart really likes cheesecake from blank, blank place. And Stuart is like, do I? And then he thinks about it going, yeah, I guess I do. Cause I did buy cheesecake that one time, right? It's that kind of data that they're selling. And, and people probably maybe see the biggest manifestation of it is uh, you look up something online or you talk about it. And that's, suddenly that's on, your, on your email, you look at your email and the top, all the ads around it are all about something you talked about which is 
happens to me all the time because I review a lot of products and those products suddenly pop up and I'm like, I'm not buying any more shoes. I reviewed 10 <laughs> pairs of shoes, you know. Well, uh, and to, to bring Rob into the conversation, you know, what was really scary, there was a couple of examples in the Oliver um, piece where, you know, there was information beyond just demographic information shared. There was an example where there was a father who reported had a in a car accident, and that inadvertently showed up on a mailer. You know, it had it was sent to this person, to the father, and the daughter of, of uh, a father of daughter who was killed in a car accident. That's not, you know, that's not classic demographic information, you know, that they're collecting information, but sometimes even beyond the the, the, the the basic demographic information, people sometimes, you know, kind of sort of feel comfortable with, you know, your age, uh, where you live, income, things like that at an aggregate level. I mean, with very, very personal information. So, Rob, as we go through your static background, um, yeah, any thoughts on this as we close this out? So funny enough, you mentioned legislators. There actually was a bill introduced a few months ago, the Data Elimination and Limiting Extensive Tracking and Exchange Act. That's right, Delete Act, <laughs> which would empower the Federal Trade Commission to run the equivalent of a do not call list for data brokers. Uh, where it would, And it seems like well thought out. It would require hashed exchanges of data. So no one is actually sending people's names and identifiers in the clear. Uh, and the, the people introduced in the Senate, it's an interesting duo. Senator Bill Cassidy, Republican of Louisiana, and Senator John Ossoff, Democrat of Georgia. This may be the only issue these two guys agree on. Um, now, it's unclear if this will go anywhere, but clearly you have one guy who, who's new to the Senate who is a pretty smart guy, glued to his homework, and one guy has been around for a while. Uh, and so if those two folks can agree that this is something we should be doing something about, there may be more action. The question is, does this bill move alone by itself or does it sort of become part of a broader privacy bill that people have been pleading for Congress yeah. to finally yeah. write and pass the last like 20 years or so? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'll just close this out with saying that, you know, this is where legislation is needed. You know, in these broad, broad areas where the founding fathers never thought about, you know, that this would be an issue that, it really has to. Ha it has to really happen at the federal level, not just the state level. I th in fact, I hope it happens at the federal level because uh, that means whatever laws they put in impact will apply to apply to all fifty states. Uh, and you know, some states may have um, you know more severe uh, or more stronger protection than others. But you know, I mean, this is you know, the only thing I will say is that when you know when you take marketing people and advertising people and there's no laws that restrain them from doing certain things they're going to do things that you're not going to be crazy about right. and so that doesn't absolve them of some of the really nefarious things that are going on right now but clearly there's a need for uh, legislation and um something has to be done something has to be done so let me close this out guys listen thank you for taking the time to join me for today's podcast for our viewing and listening audience please uh, make sure that you make the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Vena, uh, at Mark Vena Tech Guy. If you haven't already, please make a donation to the Red Cross or your preferred charitable organization to help the brave people of Ukraine in their time of need. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks, guys. Mm -hmm.